Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Rise Paradise Podcast. Today is October 5th, um, 2021. And we have here Dr. Brandon Yarns. He's a geriatric psychiatrist based at the West LA VA. Am I correct? That's correct. I know you have yeah. a more sophisticated title, uh, <laughs> Deputy Chief of the division or something like that? Deputy Section Chief of Geriatric Mental Health. And ah. I'm an assistant professor at, at the UCLA Department of Psychiatry as ah. well. Good. So why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Your background, sure. Where, where you went to school, such so on and so forth. Absolutely. So um, I actually uh, did my residency at the University of New Mexico and um, in psychiatry, and I had no idea that I was interested in geriatric psychiatry, but I met an influential mentor there who was a geriatric psychiatrist and taught me how fun and interesting and how much need there is really for geriatric psychiatry. And I attended the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry annual meeting, and um, I just fit so well with the other geriatric psychiatrists and was interested in all the, the topics there at the, at the meeting. And so I uh, went to a geriatric psychiatry fellowship at Yale. Mm. And then after that, I was really interested in doing research as well. So I uh, applied for a, a research fellowship, which brought me to UCLA. And uh, during that time, my clinical work a half day a week was at the West Los Angeles VA. And so they recruited me to come there as faculty. And so now primarily I am 100% VA and 75% of that is devoted to research. Um, I have a VA grant and participate in some other uh, national clinical trials, all in geriatric psychiatry, and I work in the geriatric psychiatry clinic there. Interesting. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so since you are a geriatric psychiatrist, uh, I assume your research is based on geriatric psychiatry or not necessarily? Yeah, so all of my research is in older adults. So one area that I study is... Um, psychotherapy for chronic pain in older adults. Mm -hmm. And so there I work with primarily older adults who um, are cognitively um, okay or have mild cognitive impairment because they're actually participating in, in pretty complicated psychotherapy. And then the other area that I have been more interested in recently is in agitation in dementia, which is a, a major problem in dementia. It's part of the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, which uh, 60 to 80% of patients with dementia have some sort of behavioral issue or a psychological symptom like agitation, depression, anxiety, sleep problems. And these issues really account for a lot of the morbidity and a lot of the, the problems that caregivers have in taking care of patients with dementia. If a patient, for instance, with dementia is like yelling or, or shouting, raising their voice, cursing, or sometimes grabbing or resisting or even trying to hit the caregiver, obviously that's gonna create a whole lot of difficulty and burnout among caregivers. And so uh, a lot of my research now is uh, working on figuring out ways to help with this kind of agitated behavior in dementia. So what, okay, so we, here at Rise Paradise, we know most of our residents or um, they have some sort of dementia, whether it's early stage, late stage, uh, 
So if somebody does have behavior issues, right, whether they, they don't sleep, they're agitated, the anxiety levels through the roof or what, through your research, what have you seen that is the most effective approach to mitigate this behavior or this problem? Right, right. So I think there are a number of things that you want to assess, first of all. And there's an approach by one of my colleagues, uh, Helen Kales, who was at Michigan, and I think she's the chair at UC Davis of psychiatry now, and it's called the DICE approach. Mm -hmm. So when... uh, Does DICE stand for anything? Yeah, so it stands for describe, and then investigate, and then create and um, evaluate. Mm-hmm. So in each of these phases, that's a, a way that you approach the behavior. First, you want to try to get the caregiver to really describe exactly what the behavior is. So agitation is a broad category. It can be like uh, the patient is wandering. It can be the patient is restless. They're having verbal agitation, like yelling or shouting or using profanity, or it can be physical aggression, Mm -hmm. like grabbing, pushing, resisting, trying to hit the caregiver. So we first get exactly what the behavior is and the context Mm -hmm. in which the behavior occurs. So we want to understand what the triggers are, like are there particular times of day that the behavior might happen? And are there particular people or types of interactions with people like a grandkid comes over that's too and really wild and that gets the the patient worked up? Or are there other triggers like there may be TV programs or it may be just boredom when the patient's left alone too long? And then all of that is going to help you understand the second thing, which you investigate the cause of the behavior. So there can be environmental causes like I'm talking about. Another thing is... Can you give us an example of an environmental cause? Sure. So it it could be, like I mentioned, a grandkid comes over. Okay. And then so so you would try to uh, correct that environmental cause when you get to create the plan to try to intervene. Maybe not have that grandkid come over as often or limit the time. Uh, that you would have with the uh, with the patient exposed to the grandkid, or it might be if somebody's in a facility like this, one particular caregiver, the personality just doesn't gel well mm-hmm. with the the patient, and so you would try to limit their time or provide education to that particular caregiver about what uh, what kind of ways that they can deal differently with the patient to try to deal with the behavior. So, at what point would you? Medicate. Right, right. So yeah, so this, this, after addressing these environmental causes, you want to make sure there's nothing medical going on. Like so, an infection? Yeah. Or... So if there's an infection, you might want to have to medicate with antibiotics okay. for that, of course. And then if it's just seen as a psychiatric cause, um, so as dementia happens, you know, it can affect any part of the, the brain. And it can affect those those parts of the brain that go into behavioral and psychological symptoms. And so after you try to address the environmental and medical causes, then that it may be a time where you would consider using a psychiatric medication if it appears to be a psychiatric cause. And so there are also non-pharmacologic approaches that you can try for psychiatric symptoms like exercise, um, which kind of just tires out the patient, 
Um, and then there can be things like aromatherapy has been tested, mm. music therapy, uh, other distraction techniques, and then the kind of environmental things that I addressed. But then if those don't work or if the behavior is pretty severe, that's the other criterion I would really use for medication. If there's physical aggression, like they're trying to grab or push or or resist uh, a caregiver, then that might be necessary to have medications. So speaking of medications and the, in the world of pharmacology, yeah, uh, is there anything in the world of psychiatry, uh, and I'm talking specifically about medications that 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 is in the upcoming that is it sounds like oh wow it's almost getting approved and it's exciting and like uh, new hope. Uh, for people who have dementia and have behaviors and so on and so forth, because I know that in the past, I don't even, I don't even know how many years uh, there, there, there has been not much of a new development in the in right. pharmacology, in psychiatry, geriatric, geriatric psychiatry. So, and a lot of stuff, a lot of medication, based on my understanding, is that it may work for an adult, but for an older adult or geriatric resident exactly. patient, it's yeah. black labeled or whatever the, the the term you guys use. Sure, so is sure. there anything happening in, in pharmacology that is exciting that you can say, oh, yeah, there's a drug that is coming off. Hopefully it's going to get FDA approval and it's promising and so on and so forth. Or there's just nothing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work going on in this area. Um, and so but you're exactly right that there's been a big difficulty. Uh, there are no FDA approved medications for agitation in dementia. And um that's because for a lot of reasons, but um, a lot of the studies show that um, antipsychotic medications, which were tested first, and those are kind of big deal medications that can have lots of side effects like sedation, falls, and the FDA in 2005 said that they actually have an increased risk of death in uh, patients with dementia. So those are, are, are not something that we reach for unless there's a lot of distress and the patient really has a psychotic symptom, like a real delusion or hallucination. So other medications that are tried are antidepressant medications, SSRIs. And there was a study called the, the CITAD study that looked at a particular antidepressant, citalopram, for um, agitation in Alzheimer's. And it showed it worked really well on reducing agitated behaviors and also improving the, the life of the caregiver. Um, but that medication also had an FDA box warning because it can, it can produce bad effects on the heart at higher doses. And this is for geriatric population only or anyone? For agitation and Alzheimer's, um, there's a, a dose that you would not exceed, which is 20 milligrams for this medication, citalopram. Is In, there a generic name? or, or? Citalopram is the generic name. It's also called Celexa. Ah, Celexa is the brand name. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the brand name. Okay. And so in, in younger adults, there's also that heart warning, but they can have a higher dose, like 40 milligrams. So it's, it's a dose-dependent effect that can affect the heart with something called QTC prolongation, which is uh, something you don't want to have. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So the, the study that I'm involved in now is looking at escitalopram. So citalopram is like a mixture of two different versions. It's a little bit messy of a drug. 
and they think that one of those versions causes this heart problem, and then the other one called escitalopram doesn't cause the heart problem. So we're repeating this CITAD study using escitalopram now, and that is a, a medication which we hope will be beneficial for agitation and not have those same kinds of heart effects that the citalopram had. So it's safer? It's safer. That's, that's the goal. So yeah, how long this research is going on and how long do you think it needs to before it goes to the FDA for approval? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's going to go to the FDA for approval. Um, it might, but the study is supposed to go through uh, 2023. So mm. it's it's about halfway in now. And so it's about four-year study? Uh, yeah, it's a five-year oh, study. Five study. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are other things that are also being investigated for this issue. Uh, one of them is actually electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. ECT. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, Maybe not all of your viewers know, but that's a really, really effective treatment for severe depression. Uh, but some researchers at McLean Hospital in Boston, they used ECT for patients with really, really bad agitation in Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And these are patients who have failed like 15, 20, 30 medications, wow. and they didn't know what else to do. They were still agitated. And they found that if they used ECT on those really treatment-resistant patients, that it was helpful. So they're conducting a study of that uh, treatment now. And another interesting thing that has been tested recently, there's been a study showing that cannabis may actually be effective in some cases for agitation and Alzheimer's. So that's something else that's being looked into with, with research now. So when you say cannabis, does it have to be prescription cannabis or over-the-counter cannabis? What kind of cannabis? It's just, I, I, I don't know much about it. Yeah, there's a, a version called dronabinol, which has one of the ingredients, uh, and it's actually um, a Schedule three medication. So, so doctors can prescribe this medication, and, and that's been tested for agitation and Alzheimer's. So um, not like uh, just uh, smoking cannabis. So based on what I get here, there's really nothing exciting coming up in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything in this area that may be a game changer. But um, I think having a multidisciplinary approach mm -hmm. and getting more evidence for different treatments, the pharmacologic treatments and non-pharmacologic treatments to combine to try to treat this very difficult problem is is definitely, we're getting more evidence for what to do specifically. So you mentioned ECT, and ECT, a lot of people who do not know, electroconvulsion therapy. Right, right. Uh, a lot of people have kind of a uh, horror stories about it. Oh, they're shocking you and this and that. Can yeah. you please elaborate a little bit about it, give them a little more information in terms, because my, my good friend is a, a geriatric psychiatrist, and he does ECT in, a, in a Arizona. Right. And he says it's, 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 it is a game changer. Uh, for 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 individuals who medication did not help, and that is right. so. But a lot of people have this. Um, I I don't know. The, the, there's actually a, mu um, a museum on Sunset, and it says that um, psychiatric kills or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So just to kind of put a little message out there, can you please explain briefly? Because you know these are uh, to our audience. What exactly ECT is and how does it work? I, I assume you guys know how it works. Uh, well, <laughs> or maybe to certain sort of, yeah, sort no, of, nobody's yeah. for sure, yeah. but, but um, yeah, so ECT has definitely got a lot of stigma associated with it, 
And in the past, you know, there have been movies and things that mm -hmm. show that like they're using it on patients in hospitals punitively, like for punishment yep. and that sort of thing. And the way that it's done today is very safe and humane. So we actually use an anesthetic on the patient. So they're not awake when you're applying the electrodes to their brain. Mm -hmm. So they, they don't remember the treatment or the seizure. Mm -hmm. But what, what we do then after they're sedated, then we apply the electrodes and induce a seizure. And it's thought that you really need to have that seizure. And what, what I like tell patients is that, you know, when you have a problem with your computer and you call IT and they say, well, the first thing you gotta do Turn off turn your off. computer and turn it back on again. I mean, that's kind of a layman's way of what happens is that it resets the brain. It affects the whole brain to have the seizure. It needs to be a generalized seizure. And for some reason, there's been some imaging research at UCLA looking at maybe is the hippocampus involved, different regions of the brain, exactly what goes into it. But it really resets things so that it can address big, like you say, treatment-resistant problems like depression, something called catatonia, which is where another old-timey thing people probably seen in movies where people are just really like out of it, have repetitive uh, mannerisms and things. But it, it really is very powerful for those treatment-resistant cases, and that's why it's also being studied for this agitation in Alzheimer's and dementia, because that's such a big problem. So any long-term side effects for those who do get ECTs? Well, it's interesting because most people think, well, it'll zap your memory if you have ECT. And really in the long term, um, overall the studies show that there's very little effect on memory, but there can be some uh, problems with memory, especially in the short term. Short term. Yeah. Like and there, right after the treatment. Right, right. And there, there are case reports, people saying, well, I, they, they forgot their wedding day. But I think that's, that's very unusual. And typically, it's most of the side effects are actually from anesthesia. So if you had any minor surgical procedure with anesthesia, it would be similar risks to that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, at least it's working. So that's a good thing, right? Because yeah. yeah. I had a resident and she was super depressed. Nothing helped. And every time she went to ECT, it was multiple sessions. It, she really bounced back. And it was like, a it's a miracle. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I, I experienced this with my clients and I was like, wow, what, what a change. Nothing really helped, you know? And then, Absolutely. And then all of a sudden they get out of the treatment after a few times and they're just happy and they want to live and everything. So it's, it's great. It's great. So uh, you mentioned to me that uh, you have a challenge in your line of duty by recruiting uh, uh, people to do research. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, especially for this uh, research study I mentioned for agitation in Alzheimer's disease, that it's, uh, it's very complicated because uh, the study that we're, we're doing, this SCITAD study, um, it, it can we're randomizing the patient to a psychosocial intervention, like I mentioned, the behavioral, environmental treatment, non-pharmacologic, and then they get either escitalopram or placebo. placebo. And so a lot of the families that have agitation, because agitation is such a problem, they don't want to have that risk of, of the, the patient going on placebo. So they'd rather just treat. And there's actually a lot of off-label use um, that's not really supported by evidence of escitalopram that 
that um, psychiatrists or family doctors just prescribe escitalopram uh, because of the old CITAD study and showing that it's it's potentially effective. And so it's it's been difficult to find patients for the study that are willing to stick with it and have the 12 weeks where they may be on placebo in the study. Uh, but I just want to emphasize how important it is to have that evidence and really be sure that it's a safe treatment. So how do you recruit? Patients. Um, so uh, we recruit from our clinics at the VA and so the study is based at the VA at our site, but we also um, have tried to reach out to uh, partners in the community like you. I think one of our coordinators came and, mm. and met with you uh, to see if, if there are other uh, you know, ways of reaching out in the community of Los Angeles to find these patients with agitation that could participate in the study. And um, so we can accept veterans and non-veterans. Is the there study. some sort of a reimbursement that goes around with it? Or just so the audience know that if they do want to send somebody or it's just oh, voluntary? Sure, sure. Yeah, so <laughs> and you, you are receiving the free treatment. Yep. And uh, we would provide transportation to the West Los Angeles VA free of cost. So they, if, if somebody has trouble driving, that's not an issue. And we provide lunch for the five to six study visits that okay. they'd need over 12 weeks. And then they can get uh, some reimbursement for for the visits as well, a, a low value, not not thousands. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have your name on the podcast so people, if they do have any questions or anything, they can reach out to you or your, some of your coordinators and some, hopefully it'll help you recruit people, sure. uh, patients, and hopefully it'll... You know, we do. We need research because that's how we progress. Absolutely, you know, that's yeah. the only way. No, it's effective and safe. Correct. So. Absolutely, that's that's the way to do it. Uh, Dr. Yarn, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we conclude this podcast? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you, and that you have a beautiful facility here, and thank I'm you. I'm very honored to have the invitation and be able to talk about this topic. I'm very passionate about. Great, and I will invite you to our new facility that we open in San Clemente. It's going to be open well with all this COVID and these backups, and uh, probably early next year. So hopefully we'll see you there. Fantastic. Thank well, it was you. nice seeing you. It was nice chatting with you, and hopefully this uh, will, our audience will find this very informative. Yes, great. Thank Th you. Thank you very much.